You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Good morning, good evening. Good morning, Wherever you are. (laughs) Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. It has been quite a year together. Wow. I know that you guys, I feel like have definitely seen Lindsay and I grow. I've changed. You guys have changed me. Mm -hmm. I hope we have changed you in a positive way and you are now changing and impacting others in a positive way. And it's uh, really inspiring to see all of you just kind of like become yourselves before our eyes. And we're lucky enough to meet you on a regular basis, um, which I never take lightly. We never take lightly, whether it's on tour at our events here in LA or just in passing, honestly. And it's, it really makes us, um, it reminds us that we're doing this Right. In the sense that you guys feel comfortable enough to be like, oh my God, hey, (laughs) like you're our friends and, you know, we're learning right along with you. And this year has been probably the most uh, transformative year of my life, of our lives. So um, we're just excited to continue this journey with you. Yeah. We're so grateful. You know, if we don't extend our gratitude enough, we just want to take a second to extend our sincere and heartfelt gratitude for the opportunity to be with you every week, Mm -hmm. you know, to be with you um, in your ears, in your car, when you're walking, when you're folding laundry. Um, It's a very intimate thing that Lindsay and I get to be people that you listen to and people that you trust. um, And we don't take it lightly. And we you know, we take it very much to heart. So very much appreciate all of the loving words and kindness and you sharing the episodes with your friends. Um, You guys, you know, writing Lindsay and I, you guys providing us feedback, you guys really helping to grow this into a community that's going to help other women. And thank you to our guests this year. Um, We've been um, lucky enough to talk to some of the world's change makers and people who have really stepped stepped outside of social norms and and definitely their comfort zones to spread messages that I think are super timely, brave, and um, for them to make the time and be so present when they sit down with us. You know, it, it's taught me a lot about like how I interact in everyday situations, sitting down with people and just being as present as possible, you know, because that's where the growth lives and that's where you know, compassion lives because if I really am present with another person, I do feel like my compassion expand, you know, instead of wishing the time away. So just thank you so much to all of our guests for all of your time and love and sharing episodes and being a part of our events. Um, I mean, it's meant so much to us and really helped us to grow. Mm, Yeah. And just echoing that sentiment, thanks to our guests. You've changed my life in 
many Mm -hmm. more ways than one. Just being your complete self, I have changed. So thank you so much for being a part of Almost 30, for taking a chance on us if you did, (laughs) uh, for making us laugh, for making us better, for making our community better, and for taking the time to help impact our lovely Almost 30 Nation. Yeah. Uh, we pre-recorded this intro just a couple of days before, but we are home with our families right now mm-hmm. for Christmas. But whatever you celebrate, we hope you are, um, you know, taking some time to rest and restore. It's really important, I think, before you mm-hmm. start the new year to, you know, no pressure to reflect. I think sometimes that's overdone and I get overwhelmed. So, hey, chill the fuck out. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think rest is just as important as doing. So, really take this time and everything is going to happen that's supposed to happen and and give yourself a hug and a pat on the back for everything that you accomplished this year because I'm sure it was more than you can ever imagine. Um, and maybe it was a year where it was just a time to reflect and get your ducks in a row and that's just as great. So thank you for letting us in and sharing where you are on your journey. We hear from you every day. So we are rooting you on and you inspire us to keep going. So we're excited about this, this week's episodes, extra excited. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to be doing this week um, is going to be doing a 2018, you know, recap. While all of our guests teach us so much and we love them so much, we picked about 10 per recap to um, talk about a wide range of topics that we hope will set you up for success for the beginning of 2019. Mm. Yeah. So our first guest is podcaster, biohacker, real human, and our friend, Luke Story. When you had those toxic thoughts, how did you work through those to eliminate those? Like, what would you do? You know, I first started learning about the nature of the mind from a metaphysical point of view from 12-step recovery. And, and what that is about, really, at the end of the day, it's funny because people outside of that world that don't need to be there or aren't interested or don't understand it, they think it's like a place where people that are alcoholics go or something like that. But it's really about changing your mind so that the way that you perceive reality is not painful. Because when you perceive mm-hmm. reality from a warped lens, which becoming a drug addict and alcoholic definitely warps your lens... Then life becomes emotionally painful. Your relationships suffer. You become a dysfunctional person and then you have to medicate. So that was where I first started to look at my thinking and how warped it was and how I always looked at everything from a negative perspective. Like my negativity bias was so hardcore. Any room I walked into, I would just immediately look for what was wrong. That chair sucks. The lighting sucks. That person sucks. I suck. It's like everything was just automatically negative. Mm-hmm. And so I started to become aware of my tendencies in that way and how I was so perpetually stuck in negativity. And then the second thing that I found was uh, a teacher named Emmett Fox, who was a, Christ- a British guy who was a Christian scientist back in the 30s. He was one of the leaders in a movement called the New Thought Movement, was this sort of anti-religious Christian movement in a sense where he just extracted principles taught by Jesus in the Bible and sort of did away with all the dogma and metaphor inherent in the Bible and in that religion and just was like, here's what this dude taught. He taught love and he taught managing and monitoring your thinking. 
And one of the main principles, which I still share with people all the time that I learned from Emmett Fox in a book called Sermon on the Mount. When I started reading that book, by the way, if there was like a mention of Jesus or Christ or something, I would just substitute my own word. I don't even know what word. I just was like, I'd use the word truth or something like that. You were like pizza. Yeah, it was like, it was too like religious sounding. I was like, I was willing to go there, but I had to modify it for a while. Now I don't, Mm. I mean, I don't care. I'll study any spiritual teacher. I don't care what faith it is. Uh, But the example he gave in there, or the, one of the analogies, I guess, is that the mind, you know, has this tendency toward negative thinking. And that's really what essentially ruins your life and and really manifest uh, negative experiences in your life. And so, He said, negative thoughts are like enemy soldiers. And when those enemy soldiers are out on the battlefield, if you allow them to entrench themselves in foxholes, they're exceedingly difficult to extricate. In other words, like you can't shoot them because now they've got cover. They've dug Mm. themselves in. And so you've got to pick off those enemy soldiers as they're marching the field before they dig themselves in. And that was his way of saying that it's a constant, witness state that's necessary in order to catch those negative thoughts before you give them emotional charge and emotional energy. So say like to this day, I mean, I maybe I walk in Whole Foods and someone bumps me, a guy bumps me on the way in and my mind will be like, oh, he thinks he's better than me. Oh, he thinks he, oh, you think you're badass? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're tough, huh? Where are you parked? You know, Mm -hmm. like just crazy, crazy shit. Well, Mm -hmm. the mind will start doing or, oh, I'm, I look, (laughs) I look weak. That's why he did that. Or Whatever it is that the very first thought, or I always use the example of getting a parking ticket, the very first thought that has a negative charge, that's an enemy soldier. And it's like, whoop, no, 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 no. It's like, I just get, over the years, I get better and better at catching them faster. Mm. When I have a thought, like the thought I have a lot of the time, when I get frustrated, is I, it's like this deeply narcissistic self-pity thought. It's, fuck my life. Like those words will come out of my mouth. I'm like, really? Fuck my life. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I saying? But before I even say, because I have the most amazing life ever, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the story I just told you. I'm living the goddamn dream. I've been rescued from the gates of hell. I mean, any day is a good day for me. And uh, so it's what I learned was how to really monitor those thoughts and catch them early on before they gain momentum. So if that guy bumps me and I tell myself a story about it and I make up all this meaning, whether, you know, it could be a text or a conversation you have with your partner or or whatever. It's like the mind will assign these false narratives, this fake news, you know, onto a situation that's not based, like the work of Byron Katie really speaks to this too. You know, she has this, the work called the work and it's questioning your thoughts. It's like, okay, so my mind just told me this thing about this person or situation. Mm can I really know that that is in fact a universal truth, the way that I'm perceiving this? And if anyone listening, I implore you, like next time you have a thought that hurts you and bothers you, really ask yourself from an honest point of view, is what I'm thinking actually true? And your first thought might be like, yeah, God damn it, I'm right, they're wrong. I don't deserve to be treated like this, blah, 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 whatever the resentful thought is. And then you ask yourself, can I really know that it's true? It's like, well, I could be tripping, you know, I could just be perceiving this situation in a way in which makes me feel like I've been wronged or slighted. But in fact, that's not reality. Up next is functional nutritionist, women's hormone expert and author, Elisa Vitti. Let me just like fully put this all to rest for everybody. Yes. Everything in the diet industry, everything 
is predicated on the male circadian hormonal pattern. Snaps. Everything. So, <laughs> so intermittent fasting, a lot of that research is done on men's physiological reality, not women's, because intermittent fasting, you can do at certain times of your cycle and not at other times of your cycle. For example, the luteal phase, you cannot do inter, you can't do it. Uh, you know, the luteal phase has huge carbohydrate requirements. You will go crazy trying mm. to do fasting during the luteal phase. But men are the same every 24 hours. So it's much easier to do nutritional research on them. And let's not forget that a lot of this nutri nutrition in the modern sense, the way that we look at it today, a lot of it has roots in World War II military nutritional research. Like how do we make fit, well-fed, well-nourished soldiers that have a lot of energy to do what we need them to do? And again, that's all predicated on men. Wow. So you have to remember that the, this, all these swirling, conflicting theories are confusing because they're not really based on your cyclical nature. In fact, I haven't seen anything except the flow protocol address a woman's menstrual cycle in terms of how she should be eating and exercising. Wow. So let's go back to the, the blood sugar thing and then we'll revisit this cyclical awareness piece because there's a lot to say there. And I, I see your questions in your eyeballs. So I'll, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> your, reader, your, your listeners should know we're watching each other on video <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, literally. <laughs> we're gonna, we'll share it. We wish you guys were here. <laughs> so, um, so if you can, drop the caffeine in the morning and... What about matcha, Alisa? Yes, you can have your matcha after breakfast. Matcha cannot be your breakfast, okay? Have it after your breakfast and eat some food in the morning. And you're going to have to play with whatever combination of macronutrients stabilize your blood sugar for up to three hours. Is it, are you an oatmeal person? Are you a, an omelet person? What are you? You know, mm -hmm. what kind of a metabolism do you have? Getting that one thing locked in allows you to have... 24 hours where your endocrine system has a chance to do things that are not directly focused on safeguarding the transport of glucose to the brain, the heart, and the muscle tissue. Oh. That's, the, that's, the, that's the most important job your endocrine system does. Not making sure you have a regular period, not making sure you have healthy fertility, and not making sure you have a slamming sex drive. Those, mm. think of all three of those things as frosting and sprinkles on your cupcake of endocrine health. But you have to have the cupcake to get the frosting, right? And the cupcake is supporting your endocrine function with stabilized blood sugar, addressing the adrenals, addressing the microbiome and estrogen elimination. So that's the first three steps of the protocol. Then we go into cyclical you know, what I call, what I've trademarked the cycle syncing method, eating specific foods for each week of your chain of your cycle, because you're, you have distinct hormonal ratios each week and exercising differently. And even taking that into how you're being creative and productive, because it does affect mm -hmm. your brain chemistry and you want to play to those strengths whenever you can. That's one key thing I would say. The other key thing I would say, if you're just getting started and you want to know where to start is I would audit your period. You can go to the Flow Living homepage and take the period type quiz and see mm. what color your period blood is telling you about your hormonal mm. ratios, right? Because you get a live blood test every month in the Whoa. toilet when you're menstruating. 
And the color of that bleed will tell you how much estrogen and progesterone you're making in real time, which can then help you make some determinations about what kind of self-care you want to practice. Wow. So the dark, is it like going from like dark to light or the consistency? It's both. Okay. So you'd have, you know, either dark and you know, it's really funny. This is a fun little story. So a couple, when my book came out, I had been doing this demo for years with my little fruit juice and little white dishes. And so when I pitched Dr. Oz's team, I was like, I want to come and do my little period blood simulation for you and talk about that. And I mean, it was very controversial. I almost didn't get to do it because Mm. they're like, we don't think that that's appropriate for daytime television. And turns out I made television menstruation and feminist history doing that segment because it had never been shown on television anywhere before. Wow. So it was just four little white dishes. Dr. Oz was totally into it, by the way. He's like, like, get bigger dishes, get more juice. Like, let's make this easier for people to see. He was great. Yeah, he, he was. He so has great. a daughter who's amazing. So I yeah. love Daphne. Actually, mm-hmm. she's super awesome. She's our modern day like fertility goddess. Mm. I mean, I haven't seen a person do pregnancy so well and so frequently. <laughs> she's, she's, got, she's got some good hormones. No, I'm saying she, yeah. she's she's really she's got some healthy hormonal function, and that you can see she's just thriving yeah. in having multiple pregnancies so close together. She's healthy. She looks healthy. She's feeling good. Mm. Um, that's what's you know. That's something that you want to do. Good hormones will get you there. Good hormonal balance yeah. will get you there. Anyways, so these different colors, there's dark purple blue, depending, you know, if you have this sort of dark bleed with clots, there's um, light pink, there's there's brown like prune juice, there's um, you know, fresh red color like cranberry juice, and then there's like no color, like it's missing, right? So those are the five mm. things that can be that's it. There can only be those five combinations. So you mm. need to know which one means what. You have to be tracking. Yeah. You want to have the fresh red cranberry color every month. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have other combinations of colors, you want to understand what that means for you because you can change the color of your blood within a month or two and you can get that positive biofeedback so quickly by, as they named the, the, the segment, look before you flush every month. <laughs> um, you know, Because it's like a free home hormone test. Wow. Okay. That's the second thing I would have you do. So first thing is change breakfast. Second thing is audit your period. And third thing is check in on your synthetic birth control situation. Why are Mm. you on it? You know, I was teaching a class last night for a private group in the city. And, you know, a lot of women were like, yeah, I I don't, I'm not using the, the birth control for preventing pregnancy. I've been put on it. I've been on it for 15, 20 years, whatever they said because of uh, that's what they were told to do for period problems. If you were put on synthetic birth control for period problems, then I would hugely encourage you to reconsider being on that medication because it's actively depleting you of key micronutrients that your endocrine system needs to do its job to balance your hormones. Irony of ironies. Like here you are taking a medication to quote unquote deal with your symptoms, but it's it's stripping you of the of the building blocks your horm- your body needs to make healthy hormone balance and puts you in a massive deficit wow. micronutrient wise when you get off so there's this syndrome that i've been talking about for a while called synthetic birth control syndrome which happens when you're on the pill and when you come off and can linger for years mm. so that's why i created the the balance biohacking supplements because i just said okay what are the key micronutrients that any menstruating woman needs, whether she's on the pill, coming off the pill, or dealing with a period problem? And that's 
what I wanted to build for women. So now we have that. But that's the third thing is to really consider, reconsider and check in about your synthetic birth control exposure because it's not necessarily something that's doing you properly. Our next guest is helping people cope with grief and loss all over the world. He is an author and world-renowned medium, Tim Braun. What's that like when you look out into an audience and like, who do you choose to get them in? Do some people have people behind them or what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, when I do the shows, um, I have no control who I go to. So when I do the big Casino shows, those are like 700 plus people at those shows. And I've already mm-hmm. done five of those shows at Paula Casino here in California. And when I go out there, I basically just trust spirit and they guide me to where I need to go. And I'm scared sometimes because I have are no you? control who's yeah. going to come through, what's going to be said. After I do the meditation, I just basically open myself up to spirit. And the reason why I do the opening meditation is really to protect myself and protect the people that I read. So basically, I blanket the audience with pure white light so that no negative energy, no negative forces can come in. It's all pure love. So anybody that's going to come in comes in through the light. Mm. And like, just for example, when I did my first Paula show, and that's like, there are people that are just trying to buy tickets at the very end. And they're saying, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're sold out at 700. We're capped out. And so the whole... Um, audience was totally packed. And so I went into the audience and I just basically went all the way into the very, very back. I couldn't even see back there because, you know, the lighting when you're on the stage, Mm -hmm. um, you can't see so much. So I just knew that the 23 year old, 24 year old male, Caucasian male that was in spirit was there in the last row going over three seats over. So I says, I'm in the very last row three seats over. I says, I have a Caucasian male. He's 23 years of age. He died of heroin. And so you have to be very specific for spirit because who it's going to go to has Mm. to make sense. It has to fit. And the woman raised her hand in the second seat over, not the third seat, but the second seat over. And she says, that's for me. That's my son. And so um, found out later he was 23 and um, he died of a heroin overdose. Um, But you know, when we do work like this, sometimes it's very specific, like last row. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not so specific because I was the third row, third seat over. It was the second seat over, but I couldn't <laughs> see. I was just yeah. going off of what I was being told, right? Wow. But uh, you know, whenever I do the work for them, I work for them. I always tell my clients that I said, you know, all of you might be paying me to do the work, but I don't work for you. I work for spirit. So whatever comes through, comes through. And I'm not a filter. I say everything that comes through, whether it's a cuss word or whether it's a good word or whether it's a bad word or whether it's too personal, I say it because they use my vocal box in order to speak. And you know what? When I did that show and that 23-year-old Caucasian male came through and he was kept on showing me his abs. And so what I think I did is I think I lifted my shirt up. If I didn't, I pretended like I lifted my shirt up. And, um, and you got that. Them so, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't. I, I I don't know if I did or didn't. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember. Totally. But I remember I kept in saying, you know, he keeps on lifting up his shirt and showing off his abs. And then she broke down crying. And mm. she says, you know, in that time, P ninety X was the big exercise thing. And she goes, he was constantly doing P ninety X up until he died. Wow. So we got more of the validation. So that was really a. A nice validation. Um, and I have no idea. You know, even when I do my individual sittings for mm-hmm. clients, even for a one on one, I have no idea who's going to come through. 
as I say, it's a crapshoot. You know, you can basically um, want someone to come through and ask in your mind for someone to come through. Many times that person will come through, but not always. Not always. And what would be the reason that they wouldn't? Sometimes a person will step back to let someone else in. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, um, this is going back about seven or eight years ago, I had a woman who came to the office and she really wanted to hear from her father and she wanted to hear from her husband. Mm -hmm. Um, The husband wasn't coming through. And at the very end, she says, you know, where's my husband? And I said, I don't know where your husband is, but I says, don't give me any information about him because if you ever come back and have another sitting with me, I don't want to know any information that you already told me that you lost a husband. (laughs) Um, And so um, in that session, her father kept on coming through and kept on repeating one thing, tell your, and this woman was in her mid looking mid to late 60s. Mm-hmm. The father in spirit kept on coming through and saying, you know, tell your brother and tell your sister, I love them. Tell your brother and tell your sister, I love them. And so she looked at me and she goes, well, I have a brother, but I don't have a sister. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what I'm hearing. And so I just kept on saying it. So I said it like four or five more times. She was getting pissed with me <laughs> because she just thought I was just like a quack, right? Yeah. And, she, and that's when at the very end, she was, where's my husband? I'm like, I don't know where your husband is, but your father keeps on saying, give you know, love, his love to your brother and sister. So long story short, she called up, up about two weeks later and I actually um, answered the phone and um, don't know why, but usually um, <laughs> on a Sunday um, afternoon, I usually let it go to voicemail. She was crying hysterically and she goes, do you know who I am? And I says, no, I don't. She goes, I had a sitting with you two or three weeks ago. And I says, I don't remember. And she goes, I'm the one that um, said from my father, give hellos and and love to my brother and sister. And I thought to myself, oh, I remember you now. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you, Mm -hmm. the crazy lady that- She wants a refund. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't think she wanted a refund. I thought that she was just going to basically just say, you know, you're just so wrong. You're just so off. I'm like, well, you know, check it out. Well, she basically called her brother, as she told me, in New York. And she goes, I called my brother right after the sitting and I told him the crap that you are telling me. And my brother in New York, who's 72 years of age, says, well, it's about time you, we should tell you. <gasps> I just got goosebumps. <laughs> oh my God. And she said, tell me what? And this is how I knew that she was in her late 60s because he what? goes, well, basically back in the 40s, dad had an affair and, and we have a half-sister. And we just never want to tell you because we just didn't think that you were ever old enough. And then she said, well, I'm 67 fucking years of age. Don't you think I'm old enough now? And that's what she said in her own words. And so that woman really became a client for life. She referred a lot of people to me, which was nice of her. But, you know, whenever I do my work, I have to trust. And, you know, I am so ethical and so honest for the work that I do. And when she said at the very end, you know, where's my husband? You know, sure, if I was a shyster, I could say, oh, yeah, there he is. He's giving you a kiss on the cheek, you know. But (laughs) the thing is, is that, you know what, if I play that game, it's called karma. And when I pass over, the spirit's going to say, hmm, so you took those people's money and you lied to them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to play that game. You know what? So God giveth, God taketh. And that's for anything. And I always stay humble about everything. You know, we can have ego. That's great. But as long as it's healthy ego 
And I always say, you know, God giveth, God taketh. So we always have to stay within our own humbleness as far as whether we're an athlete or an actress or uh, a sportscaster or even a medium. You know, we do our work and we do our work mm. 110% as best we can. There is no different difference for me to you to. And what I mean by that is like you do this podcast and you do it with intention and you put your 110% into it. There's no difference between you and me. There's no difference to us than a school teacher who basically gives his or her 110% effort. There's no difference to a mother or a janitor at the high school who gives 110%. You know what? It's our jobs that we're supposed to be doing here on this planet. And it doesn't matter what we do as long as we do it 110% as best as we possibly can. And for that being said, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it with intention, integrity, Mm. and honesty. Mm. And so when I do my work with that, and she was basically saying, where's my husband? I'm like, I don't know. But you know, your father basically keeps on saying this. So long story short, again, uh, just so Mm. I know you guys have a lot of questions asked me, um, she reached out to that half-sister and now they're in communication, Mm. you know? So that's a nice thing too. Next up is holistic sex and relationship coach and vaginal weightlifter, Kim Anami. To me, I talk about junk food sex and gourmet sex. Mm -hmm. So junk food sex is just like junk food. You might get a quick hit from it, but it's ultimately going to give you this high and then a drastic plummet. Mm -hmm. And you might just feel like you need to pass out or you want to forget that you indulged in this thing afterward. Mm -hmm. Gourmet sex is multi-layered. So you're emotionally open. You're spiritually connected to this person. You sexually abandon yourself. And then you reach these high, powerful states that I talked about earlier, where you actually actually are the the French term, la petite mort, the little death and rebirth. That's what I think orgasms ought to be. They're this deep, cleansing, therapeutic, cathartic, rebirthing experience. We can use our orgasms as tools for personal development. Mm. Wow. How would you, um, for listeners who, I mean, I would assume a lot of women have never experienced an orgasm. And so how would you like kind of lead them to that space to start experiencing anything close to like a cervical orgasm? I think that's really challenging. Yeah, what are the types of of orgasms too? Well, a basic primer would be, uh, most people have heard of clitoral orgasms. Mm -hmm. And when people refer to orgasms, they're usually, when they just use the word orgasm, they usually mean a clitoral orgasm. Mm -hmm. So clitoral, G-spot, a squirting ejaculation can hit the ceiling with ejaculate kind of orgasm. Cervical orgasm, you could have an anal orgasm, a nipplegasm, an energy orgasm. So they're endless, but in terms of like the basic vaginal lot, Mm -hmm. I what I like to say is that the deeper life-changing orgasms are in the vagina. All the good stuff is in the vagina. Superficial clitoral orgasms, because they're more physical. They're more, like I said, kind of like a junk food experience. Generally, they can still be fun and pleasurable, but the more, the deeper orgasms in the vagina require a woman to be able to emotionally surrender and open her heart, open Mm. her vagina, open her full self to Mm. her partner. And if she can't get there, she's not going to have those orgasms. And so that's where Western science doesn't really 
understand. They think that if you apply the same manual technique to 30 people, that you should be able to reproduce those same results. But they're not at all taking into account somebody's history, their connection with themselves, their connection with their partner. All of those factors are the internal work. So I divide it into three layers of surrender or opening. There's how open you are with yourself. Are you comfortable in your own skin? Are you comfortable in your own body that you can open yourself up and you feel confident that you'll be okay? Then there's the level of trust you have with your partner. Do I really trust this person? If I open myself up and leap off into this abyss, will they catch me? Will they hold Mm. me? If I fall, will you catch me? And then I'd say there's the whole level of trust you have with the universe. Do you see the universe as a benevolent, loving, place. And if you do, then if you've got the first two, you've got yourself and the universe, that's 66% of the equation. And then even if you were to take a chance with your partner and they let you down, you can still pick yourself up because you know you're okay. You know that you can take care of yourself and you know the universe will take care of you. And then ultimately, ideally, your partner is also worthy of that trust. And so when you have these deep experiences of surrender and letting down your guard, you're met. You're loved, you're seen, you're cherished. So when you're naked and vulnerable, we all need a place to let go and a sanctuary where we can just be our full, raw, naked selves. Mm -hmm. And it's such healing medicine to receive that. So the ideal to me, gourmet sex relationship is where you have that. You have that level of openness and trust and honesty and surrender. And that that becomes a superfood in your life, a super fuel in your life. It then you're operating at this place of, it's your secret weapon, your superpowers together. Like you've tapped into this place with each other and harnessed this powerful sexual creative energy and you become even more potent in your day-to-day life than you were before you had that. Or if you're in a relationship where you're not able to access those places. Mm. How does this apply? What are your thoughts on like one night stands and, and, you know, when to have sex? Because I'm thinking about how deep this is. And, you know, I don't know how easily someone could get to these layers with someone that they don't know very well. So what are your thoughts? They couldn't. Yeah. And so mm. what I'm talking about is that is a cultivation of a certain kind of relationship. Yeah. And that's not like I was, you know, in my 20s, I had a lot of experimentation, a lot of casual encounters. Like I've been there, done that. So my viewpoint is about what's the best use of my energy and can I use this as a way to boost the rest of my life? And so it's like, I guess the barometric question is, is this encounter giving me energy or draining my energy? And the, the, the what I see is the deepest, most powerful use of our sexual connection. And this is by no means a moral judgment. I have absolutely no moral judgment about anyone's choices. I've made the same choices. You know, like yeah. this is about what's the best use of my energy and how can this feed the rest of my mm-hmm. life? So that's where I'm coming from. And in my view, that's through having this kind of relationship where you can really open and surrender. So if somebody's complaining or, or upset that they're not having G-spot orgasms or cervical orgasms, we'll look at the quality of your relationship. If you're in, say, a, a sort of fuck buddy relationship, well, you're not likely to be exposing yourself. Part of the agreement in that relationship is that you actually don't emotionally connect with your partner. You might a little bit, you might have some affection for each other, but you are compartmentalizing, right? You're to do that, you are compartmentalizing. And so the whole point of gourmet sex is to fully open and without reservation, share yourself with your partner. Does that mean like fully open? Does that mean like you 
are expressing what exactly what you want in sex or in your like saying and doing whatever comes to mind or what does that mean? What does like fully open mean? I guess there's many levels of it. Like, yes, definitely expressing what you want in sex. It's expressing how you feel emotionally. It's setting boundaries. If there's a behavior or an energy that you don't like, that you're not just suppressing that. You're Mm. actually communicating that with your partner. And you can learn to do all these things in ways that are really flowing and healthy. And hopefully you have an agreement with your partner that that's a premise of your relationship, that open communication, transparency, radical honesty are agreed Agreements that you've made with each other, where some people have agreements of tacit omission, (laughs) meaning that don't ask, don't tell, or I'm not going to say this to you because it might hurt your feelings, and so I'm going to hide it from you. So those are two different types of relationships. So the openness then is also being willing to do your inner work. If you know that you've got demons, if you've got unresolved, we all do. We're human. We're on this earth, in my view, to learn and to grow. So we're all given this dose of primal karma to begin this life with, and we have to work our way through it. So we all have issues. My philosophy is that we bring all of those issues into the vessel of the relationship and use it as a catalyst for growth and transformation. Mm. But you can only do that if you're willing to open yourself up emotionally, spiritually. You're willing to take a chance and take a risk of exposing yourself. And yes, you might get hurt, but it's the only way that you'll actually grow either as well. And now author, media pundit, journalist, activist for LGBTQ, the amazing, powerful Dan Savage. Love Your you, son is 20. Yeah. He's living with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's, what is like fatherhood? Like, like, what is Truly. it? It's like a heroin problem. Uh, Tell me the highs, you've never been so high. Uh, you've never been so blissed out. And the lows, you're like, why the fuck did I stick that needle in my arm the yeah. first time? Yeah. My mom said that the other day on the phone. She's like, you know, sometimes as a parent, you you know, you regret having kids. But <laughs> I was like, okay. well, life is regret. You know, you have yeah. kids and you have your regrets. You don't have kids and you have your regrets. Mm. Um, you pick one person if you're going to partner for life, hopefully. And you have your regrets. There's that wonderful song from uh, Company by Stephen Sondheim where a character asks, uh, a single character asks a married friend, are you ever sorry you got married? And he says, you're always sorry. Mm -hmm. And you're always grateful. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. With just just about any life choice, you could major like fork in the road life choice around career or parenting or partnering. Mm. You're always like... Happy looking over you <laughs> the cho- about the choice you made and uh, mourning the choice you made. Yeah. Did you always have that like knowing or because I feel like our like some people in our generation or maybe it's even younger, like my brother's generation, early 20s, they think, you know, I have to be happy, you know, and if it like kind of strays from like feeling comfortable, they freak out. So did you always kind of know that like shit was going to be hard oh. and also rewarding? Oh, I, I, Do you know what I'm I mean? I'm Catholic. Like shit is Same. hard. Yeah. <laughs> Life is misery and right suffering and pain. Do you... uh, I, I call myself culturally Catholic. Oh, like... uh, my Jewish friends helped me get there. <laughs> Wait, what is a cultural Catholic? <laughs> well, well it's just, I have all these friends who are Jewish that I, you know, I helped start The Stranger with and I knew them to be bacon eating atheists who didn't believe in anything. And yet they were doing Rosh Hashanah, they were doing mm. Yom Kippur, they were getting together and celebrating the holidays, and they were really kind of honoring their cultural identity as Jews. And I was mm. like, why can't I do that as a Catholic? Mm-hmm. And not embrace the hocus pocus or, or believe in transubstantiation uh, or anything else, but still f- 
describe myself as a Catholic because I feel very Catholic. Mm. I mean, my Catholic education and my childhood and my parents and the, all the goddamn masses I had to sit yeah. through. It carves a groove that it's a nice you can't integration pretend isn't there. That you, like, it's a nice way to look at it, to integrate it because I kind of resist it. I think I... I were you raised Catholic? Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, I'm. I'm from Ohio, so ah. we're we're on the cut from the same <laughs> cut from the same cloth in a way. So yeah, and I kind of see it as like I I want to move against it. So it's interesting that you, I guess, like integrate that into. Do you life. know what's really fun though? When what? I say I'm culturally Catholic, it drives conservative Catholics crazy. Mm. So it is a way to move against it. <laughs> that's your favorite thing to do. <laughs> You're like, if I know one thing, that's, that's the one thing I know. Like Bill Donahue, who runs the Catholic League, which is just this insane oh, anti-gay hate organization, is constantly a- attacking me. And one of the reasons, one of the things he like gets upset about is when I call myself a Catholic, because how that. dare I, you know, with all the dick I'm putting in my face and <laughs> the, yeah. not going to church or confession for 30 years, how can I call myself a Catholic? Um, because I can, yeah. because I am, because my parents were, because I'm baptized, because I was raised Catholic and I have a Catholic education. And so I'm pretty fucking Catholic. I just don't believe in the hocus pocus anymore. Mm. So what was, so you're raised Catholic, parents are Catholic. What was the experience when you came out to your parents? It was a long ass time ago. Uh, and I kind of now take a sort of, softer sort of approach to Mm. who my parents were then. Sure. Because it's easy now to look back through the prism of right now and fault my parents for not being kind of P-flag hero parents circa Mm. 2018. But they were operating on the information that they had available to them then, which was incredibly limited. And the idea then was that homosexuality was something that, you know, your kid could drift into and to keep them from drifting in, you had to nudge them in the other direction. So I got nudged a lot by my parents Mm. and it made it really hard to come out to them. And when I did come out to them, it was a uh, to my mom first. It was a, you know, she said all the wrong things. She told me I could never have a boyfriend in the house. She never wanted to meet anyone I was dating. Mm. And but then she got over it really quickly. Ironically, jumping back to the top of this conversation with the help of a priest, because I told my really? mother I was gay, uh, and the first thing she said was, "Did you hear the one about the two men who attacked a woman in Lincoln Park, which was the gay cruising?" park in Chicago. And I said, no, mom. I lived in Lincoln Park. And my mom said, uh, one held her down, the other did her hair. That was the first thing out of her mouth. And I was like, okay, that's not what I expected. <laughs> What's going on? But she had a big meltdown um, and she called a priest whose name I, who's still alive and still priesting, so I don't give his name out because I don't want to get him in trouble with mm-hmm. the church, but called this priest who came to our house. That's how Catholic we were. The priest would make house wow. calls for us. Um, and she sat down with him on the front porch and said, Danny says he's gay. Now, Danny is, Danny says. Uh, and Father Tom uh, put his hand on my mother's knee and said, Judy, so am I. <gasps> I and thought he was going to be like, let's see how gay he is. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he told her it was better that she should love and accept it. And it was better that I live the life that mm. I was going to live <sighs> than live the life he lived, which he knew I was contemplating because I had gone to a seminary for high school and was thinking about becoming a priest. Wow. Wow. So that helped. Thank you, Father Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah, wow. Did you always feel a presence of God? Like, are you, re- so you're Catholic, are you religious? I was told like, to feel you? the presence of mm-hmm. God. And you know, when they tell you that shit when you're a kid, you felt the presence of the fucking tooth fairy. You felt the presence <laughs> yeah. of Santa Claus. Santa Claus was really it. watching. <laughs> yeah. Like your parents tell you to believe something yeah. and they pretend to believe it. And so you're like, oh yeah, that's a thing. I can feel that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my God, the tooth fairy came last night. I, I, I felt her in the middle of the night mm-hmm. moving my pillow. It was actually mom. <laughs> so yeah, I felt the presence of God until I woke up one day and went, yeah, this is tooth fairy stuff. Mm. 
And has it kind of changed that feeling as you've done the work that you've done and connected and with so many people and changed and supported so many lives? Well, spiritually, has that like the, the thing I took away from my Catholic education? I think the the thing that everyone should take away from the Bible uh, is the golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Which means you want to treat other people the way you would like to be treated. You know, mm-hmm. you want people to be honest with you, you want people to be kind to you, you want people to be compassionate, understanding, and forgiving with you, and you need to be all that shit for other people too. I always tell religious people have a problem with my column or the podcast, to dump it all in a pot and boil it down to its essence, and you're left with do unto others. There's just more that can be done unto other people in my universe than perhaps in yours, but we're still operating under that moral principle. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah, what's that like for what you do? How do you deal with feedback and criticism? <laughs> like, honestly, we get we get one thing, and we're like, yeah, we get one thing that's like, hey, you guys should cuss a little less. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, what do you like do? lay flat on the floor. Yeah, like, how do oh. I... Yeah. I need it's, some to us. inject Dan Savage I get a lot veins. of grief. I get a lot yes. of criticism. And it's tricky because you can't... You don't want to dismiss it all because sometimes the person is right. Yeah. But you get so much of it that to function and and to preserve your sanity, you just start tuning all of it out. So you have to sort of judiciously let a little bit of it in and know how to discard, you know, vicious bullshit that comes from a place of vicious bullshit Mm -hmm. from, you know, strongly worded, even angry criticisms that are legit. Uh, And that's a hard sort of line to walk, but it's a privilege to get to walk it because it means that you're in this position where more people are listening to you than are listening to the person who's yelling at you. That's why they're yelling at you. And you just kind of have to be gracious about it and golden rule it a little bit. Like when I'm upset, I want to be heard. This person's Mm -hmm. upset. They want to be heard. Are they right? Are they wrong? Do I have to act on it? Do I need to think about it? We'll see. Um, A lot of it, you know, there's this outrage culture on Twitter um, and certainly on Tumblr uh, where people are just sitting in front of their computers all day, you know, with a Hitachi magic wand between their legs looking for outrage orgasms. And when those people get upset, I'm like, you're welcome. I gave you what you wanted, which mm-hmm. was your mm-hmm. anger and rage buzzing of your clip today. <laughs> Go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and enjoy yourself. Um, and if it's not going to be me, it's going to be somebody else. And here we have a certified health coach, author, speaker, and leading expert in digestive health, Robin Euclid. The best thing I say about these the books and the work and the work of my clients is really just continuously fine tuning what works for me mm. <laughs> because it it's it's me feeling the way that I've felt in my body the last couple of years is it's incredible i mostly with the book thin from within where i sort of developed really the names for what i was doing mm. so i start my day with my huge amount of water mm. and then i do kind of a matcha latte with adaptogens and some fat and that helps me feel good. And I can just be present with my daughter, not trying to eat breakfast while I'm sort of taking care of her and getting her out the door and everything that needs to happen. And then I get to my office and then I have my power parfait. So that's my amped up yogurt bowl. It's um, Mm. yogurt with oats and chia seeds and fruit, et cetera. And it tastes like whipped heaven and protein powder. Um, So I have that. Do you have yogurt, dairy yogurt? I do have, I have goat's dairy. That happens to work really well for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say with people experiments, try goats, try sheep's, uh, there's a bunch of non-dairy options now that are great. 
um, thankfully. Um, some people, cows works great. So, you know, mm. get grass-fed, grass-finished quality source. Um, and then lunch, I have my rule of five plate uh, template, um, which I can talk about a little bit more too. And it's just, these are like, it's like my foundation. I feel like there's so much going on in my life and there's so much going on in everybody's lives. But to have, be in a place now where I feel like my food is finally figured out a bit and I know what really works for me mm-hmm. is amazing. And to be able to teach that and share that and have so many people writing to me and messaging me like, I've never felt better. My belly feels calmer. Not that my belly feels flatter. It's that my belly, they, they feel calmer in their bodies because we do have such big plans for ourselves and so much we want to do in this world. So if we can take out a little bit of the guesswork around the food, mm. you know, and I always say, try, try what I recommend. And if that doesn't work for you, try something else. I'm not, I'm not here to say like, this is the way. I'm here to say, this is what's worked really well for me and so many of my clients and community and readers. Mm. What's the rule of five? So rule of five plate is the five foods you want to have on your plate at any given meal. I don't really do it for breakfast because I feel like um, I'm covered for lunch and dinner um, and power parfait works really well for me. I used to do a rule of five plate for breakfast, but when my daughter came, I was like certainly not making eggs and greens mm-hmm. <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. Like, that became hilarious. Um, so it's nothing, nothing wild, but just gives you a really nice template. So... Um, Greens, uh, raw or cooked. A lot of people cannot digest raw greens. So experimenting with cooked, if that feels like you, if you feel bloated after you eat salads. Um, So raw greens or cooked greens rather. Um, Protein, up to you. Healthy fat, again, up to you. Also, I put nuts in the healthy fat category, not in the protein category, just FYI. Mm. From a digestive point of view, nuts are really hard to digest. If you think about how they come in nature, I always say nuts aren't popcorn and we tend to eat them by the handful. Um, So thinking of them more like an olive oil. Like you'd have two to three tablespoons of olive oil, for example. So kind of thinking about nuts in that category. So I've got greens, protein, healthy fat, and then a couple of wild cards that are more the like, you know, healthy belly way. A cooked vegetable. So cooked vegetable for two reasons. One, um, it's easier for your body to digest anytime you have a cooked veggie in there. And two, it's really grounding. And also it's very satisfying to have a cooked vegetable. So mm-hmm. if you're someone like me who comes from the diet mentality, we tend to think, oh, I'm just, I just had a salad for lunch or I'm eating lighter. So I've, I am going to be lighter. And the more that I can give myself more solid grounding, some of those heavier foods like roasted squash, for example, mm. like I feel much more satisfied from my meal. And then the fifth one is going to be a ferment. Mm. So the sauerkraut or some of the sauerkraut juice in my dressing. Again, that's not for everybody. If you have SIBO or more serious digestive issues, this may not be for you um, or candida. But you know, if you generally don't suffer from any of those give it a try. And then those are my five. And then I kind of have that as like a bowl for lunch. And then for dinner, I have different elements in different ways. So I might have a bean pasta with kale and tomato sauce and some roasted carrots mixed together. And then I'll have like my fermented vegetables on the side. So I sort of like mix it up a little bit more Mm. for dinner. That makes sense. Mm. Sounds delicious. I know. That's that's some of my snacks, you know. Any any thoughts on, and not to like bring up another, uh, the plant paradox, I think Mm -hmm. has freaked a lot of people out. So when you said like, tomato sauce or, you know, eggplant or whatever they're talking about, legumes. I, I honestly haven't read it. I've just like heard the like hysteria after people read it. So do you have any thoughts on that? It's so funny because I went to this um, conference and 
I don't always share a lot from conferences. Like people are like, I'm not a blogger at heart. You know, I'm not like a, I'm more like a coach, like that's speaker and a coach. And so at this conference, I was like, I'm going to be a blogger. I'm going to share a lot more from this and give Mm. a lot more downloads. And I shared a ton from his speech. Never have I gotten so many (laughs) messages from people being like, this guy's a total quack. This was studies and mice not in. I was like, whoa, I thought his stuff sounded real legit. So I did some research on my own. Um, There's, there's some information backing it there. There's some information that's against it there. So this Mm. is something where I say, depends how you feel. I come from a place of digestive health and intuitive eating. If you're a woman that's been on a diet forever thinking something's going to fix you, or if you've lost weight in the past and you're like, I never felt like I was there, you know, and I feel a little bloated, maybe I'm not pooping as much or I'm feeling just not great in my belly. That's my world. If you're suffering from something else, experiment with something else. So for his diet, you know, anti-inflammatory, heart health, you know, if those you're reading through his work and seeing like, oh, that sounds Mm. like me. Oh, that sounds like me. Experiment with it. Right. What exactly is it? It's basically like no, um, no foods, no nightshades, but no foods with leptin. So um, leptins are essentially there to preserve the um, future of the plant. So there are these um, nutrients that essentially our bodies cannot break down to keep the plant going. So like it keeps animals away, for example. So like, why Mm. would we eat those things? But I don't know, there's research that says, you know, brown rice is is the most amazing thing ever. And other research that says brown rice is going to be the worst Mm. thing for you. So this is when we all have to like take a moment, you know, not just buy buy into the latest trends and be like, what do I need? Mm. Okay. What do I need? And that's where the intuitive piece, and I say to everybody, and why I will will always speak and teach about intuition is because that's it for everything. You know, what is Mm. your gut telling you? Yeah. Not your brain running away from you. Like the visions too. Yeah. I love visions. Okay. I want to pull some questions from our group, Mm -hmm. from our sweet Mm. angels. Hi, angels. Mm. Hi, angels of the Secret Almost 30 podcast Facebook group. Thanks for participating. Okay. Let's see. Before you get into that, can I just say how much I love the name of this podcast? I know a lot of people say it because it speaks to my inner raver child. Because, you know, as I'm like in the late 30s here and I'm like, you look like you're fucking 20. My husband said to me, he goes, are you aging backwards? I was like, yes. What a peanut head. I was like, yes, I am. I'm just going to own that. And I've come a long way with that, right? We always say, oh, no, not true. But I'm like, when someone gives you a compliment, you're like, Thank you. I thank love you. that. Thank, thank you. Connection so, yeah, between gut and skin health from Katie Rocks. It's all from the gut. So yeah. So if following a protocol like mine and thin from within or go with your gut, you are going to see your skin clear up. What, so what is the connection, I guess? So it's all hormones, essentially. Oh. So hormones, hormones and, connected to your gut. So it's essentially your bacteria in your system rules and works with your hormonal system. So they're essentially one and the same. So, so many of the protocols that I teach around gut health are very, very similar for mm. hormone health and balancing. They have a different um, theory and philosophy, a little bit more around dairy and animal products than mm. I do, but typically it's very, very similar. Up next is speaker, relationship coach, and teacher guiding men and women in practices of sexual intimacy, John Wineland. There's three ways that we can have sex. We can have sex with our physical bodies, right? We can touch each other. We're all aware of the hot spots on the physical body, yeah. But we can also have sex with our emotional bodies. They were talking about it earlier, like being fully seen. So as a masculine partner, I can focus on your physical body, Right. But if I'm doing that 
and I'm feeling the depth of your heart, right? And I'm feeling sort of the textures of your heart and I'm feeling the places where you've been hurt and I'm feeling how your body responds to intimacy, right? Then there's a deeper level of sex. And then the third level of sex is an energetic piece. And the energetic piece means that our bodies are, we can actually do practice to sync the bodies up. We can train ourselves to actually feel what's happening in another to the point where you don't, it's not like you're having sex from just the body, but you're having sex from the heart and you're having sex from, I guess, for lack of a better term, the soul, right? Where you can actually have that experience. And it's one of those things where you could talk about it. Like I could talk about yoga, right? We could, I could give you the greatest talk about yoga, but unless you get on the mat and you really experience it, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. So sex, great sex happens when all three of those things are, are firing, right? Where there's an emotional connection, there's a physical connection, and there's an experience of being tuned into each other's energy on such a deep level that you kind of know how to move his hand or touch his back before he even knows that he wants you to do that, right? And when we can hit those kinds of sexual connections, that's when incredible, life-changing, dramatic, I just seen God, you know, God told me X, Y, and Z during our sex, right? That's when that kind of sex happens. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. So the three, la- three layers of sex. Now, most of us spend all of our time training our bodies to just deal with the, the first level. We want to look hot. We want to be strong. Want to be in shape because I hear that really good sex, you know, takes some stamina, right? So I need cardio. I need to look good, right? And we spend all of our time training ourselves to just work on the the least deep kind of sex, and we miss this whole idea of of what it would take because it's a different practice to actually feel somebody's heart. It takes a certain thing. There's actually a yoga. And this is part of what I've been taught. You know, my teacher taught me this. My teacher is a guy named David Data, whose books are, you know, incredibly powerful if you ever get a chance to read them. There's actually a practice of feeling somebody deeper. And if you are a masculine partner uh, and your sexual essence is masculine, now this could be a man or a woman, doesn't matter. Gender is not as important here. But if you are masculine, what you tend to want is to feel the surrender and the energetic wash of uh, penetrating somebody's heart very deeply. For the guys in the room, does that feel like kind of what you want? Surrender. You want to feel surrender. You want to feel the energy of surrender. You want to feel the energy that comes from a feminine partner if you are masculine. If you are a feminine partner, and since there's more women in the room, you guys can let me know if this hits you. You want to be Led now, penetration is a is a pretty loaded word, but you want to be opened and seen and known from a presence that you trust deeply, ravished. You want your feelings cherished and your heart ravished. Fair to say? Okay, okay. Those are different. Those are different. So, part of having great sex is knowing, knowing what your essence is, and then finding ways to actually play the game from the deepest part of your essence. So if you're a masculine partner, then 
what you're going to want to be able to do is not just you're going to have to learn how to energetically and emotionally, and again, I have to use this word penetrate, right? With absolute consent, obvious, yeah? A woman's heart, not just her genitals, right? You're going to want to be able to breathe with her so that her nervous system syncs up to your, syncs up to your nervous system and she literally feels held by your breath. You're going to want to be able to gaze into her eyes and see deeper than the surface of her body so you can actually experience feeling her radiance. Right? That's a deeper sex, yeah? yeah? Everybody with me so far? I'm in the right room? Okay. Just, yeah, okay. All right. Now, there's a yoga and there's a practice for strengthening our capacity to do that. If you're a feminine partner and you want to be seen and known and ravished, then the yoga that you're going to have to do is to allow your heart to be your heart and body to be ravished. So if you are coming in hot, as they say, and you're leading the charge, chances are if you're with a masculine partner, he won't have a space to actually feel inside of you, to feel your heart, right? And so the yoga, if you are a sexual partner in a moment, a feminine sexual partner in a moment, the yoga is how to open, how to soften, how to become what my teacher said, that which must be touched. Right? And there's an actual practice to do that. So there's a practice to strengthen your conscious and your capacity to feel into somebody. That is a masculine yoga. There's a practice to actually relaxing your heart open and allowing your body to soften so that you are an, uh, your whole body is an invitation from love. There's actually a yoga to that, right? And those kinds of things are the things that we rarely spend time practicing. We just think, hey, if we have a lot of sex, we'll get good at it, right? Or if I find the right person, if, it's, if I'm with the right man or if I'm with the right woman, then I'll get good at it or I'll have the kind of sex that, um, that I've always dreamt was possible. So here's, here's the playing field. We're at a place in history where we don't need each other anymore. We don't, right? Women don't need us to have babies, to make money, to keep them safe. I mean, maybe to keep them safe in some parts of the world, in some places, yeah. Certainly not in, you know, where we are walking out on sunset, I think. And, and so the value that a masculine partner brings to a feminine partner is the value to take her someplace in her heart and body that she can't take herself. Does this feel true to you, ladies? Yeah, yeah. Because men don't know this. They don't know this. They still think like, if I provide and I'm a pretty cool dude and I'm a good dad and I support her career, good to go. That's all I need to do. No, games change, guys. To, if you want to be extraordinary in the, in the game of love, in the art of love, then the practice is to take her someplace she can't take herself. Now, if you're a masculine partner or if you, if you want a masculine partner, it can switch, right? This is not, we're not all one or all the other, but we tend to have an essence. And in, in more and more in relationship now, there's a fluidity going back and forth, right? There's more men that have a stronger feminine than 40 years ago. There's more women that have a stronger masculine. And we can certainly go back and forth. But at the core, most of us have one or the other. Some are fluid. Some are like right in the center. Does this feel true? Anybody feel like, I don't know if I have a masculine or a feminine essence? I'm unclear. 
Okay, good. We'll talk about that. That's a good, we'll bring that as a question. But because you can cultivate all of them and then in a great sexual moment, relax a masculine and animate a feminine, right? And or relax a feminine and animate a masculine. And then you have the energetic pull of a masculine and a feminine energy. I mean, this is no different than Shiva or Shakti, yin and yang. I mean, these are old terms. We're just using, you know, they're kind of gender-loaded terms still, but they're the best we've got. And what we want to do in a beautiful sexual moment is to get to that place where we have the spark of sexual energy. And that requires one of us has got to relax the masculine and animate the feminine. One of us has to do the opposite. Up next, we have author, teacher, thought pioneer, founder of Earth is Co. and human as fuck. Peter Kelly. The first thing is to just get really honest. You know, when I do events, I talk about kink in the hose. So I talk about, you know, our alignment. When we're in alignment, we are like accessing our full life force, which is just mm. a tap, a waterfall. You know, we have energy, we have ideas, we have inspiration, we have downloads, mm. we have abundance, we have joy. Everything is that we can literally stand in the waterfall or we can't. And we have this hose I talk about. And our Everything in our life that is misalignment, it's just misaligned. It's like kinking our life force. So we have these little kinks. It could be a relationship. It could be where we live. It could be our job. And they're just kinking our life force, you know? And we, as we go through life, we gain these kinks. And Love that. so when people come up to an events, they're like, fuck, Peter, my job is a kink. Like, I, you know, I know I would have more energy and more life force and more creativity if I could just not do this stupid job. And, or some people say my whole life is a kink. Or some people say my husband is a kink. My wife is a kink. Or, you know, being brutally honest, some people do that. And some people just say, hey, the fact that I haven't had this conversation with someone is kinking my hose right now. Mm. And so my advice to all of them is like, hey, you know, I am not the unkinker of your hose. And you are the only unkinker of your hose. So, and I always let people know that Alignment sounds like really woo-woo and warm and fuzzy, but alignment is literally the most ballsiest thing we can honor in our life. Alignment takes real courage and real balls to jump out of something that's not working for us, to leave something that's not in alignment with our soul because no one else can ever understand. It's not like saying, hey, I can't make it because my child's sick. It's not like that where people can say, oh, I really understand. It's hey, I changed my mind and I'm not willing to do that anymore because it's not in alignment for me. That takes balls because you are just standing up for yourself in a way that a lot of people will never understand. And it's tough because there are other people involved. Sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes other people's feelings will be hurt and that's never the intention. Sometimes other people will be upset. Sometimes it's it's not right for someone else. Like if someone's still wanting to be in relationship with you, but you are like so not in it and you have to have that conversation, it takes balls. If if you are so, if your life force is 100% kinked by your job and you are feeling so urgently like you need to exit so that you can get your energy back, that takes courage because there's so much unknown. Like, you know, when I left my PhD, that was one of the most courageous moments of my life because I had it all planned out. I was, I was going to be a doctor by the time I was 25. I already had a thesis. I was, you know, I was set. This was my path. This is what I knew. And when I left, I knew nothing but science and sport and school. I didn't have business in my family. I didn't have money in my family. I didn't know anything else. It was 100% faith in the fact that I deserved to have more of my life force than I had then. And so 
I remember the day I walked into my supervisor's office and I was bawling my eyes out because I was like, I could be completely fucking up my life right now. But in my soul, my soul was literally just like taking the reins. She was like, shut up. Like your, your noise and your head has spoken long enough now. Like, trust me. So I walked in there a blubbing mess and I sat down in her office and I said, I need to leave. And she was like, what? Like, you're just about to propose your PhD. Like we've worked so hard on this. And I was like, I, I didn't even have the words to tell her life force alignment. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know it was that back then, yeah. but I just said to her, I'm so anxious. Like it's not right for me right now. Like I just feel so overwhelmed and I was crying. And that was the only way I could explain it to her. Mm-hmm. And she was so beautiful. She was like, you know, I, whatever you want, like you've, you know, what, whatever, like whatever you need, like I trust you and you're, you know, always been so committed. So I know you're not just making this choice that really nearly. And I walked out of there and I felt so relieved and I had no idea what I was going to do. I had no idea. I was 20, 22, no idea. And, but that relief and that energy and that life force gave me access to the next step. And so it took courage and faith and trust. And, you know, I think I had to move back into my mom's at that point, but that didn't matter because I had my life force. I had my energy back. I was able to access creativity and ideas and what was next. And, and, you know, some people might've said that was so irresponsible, but you know what? Like, fuck that sometimes because sometimes responsibility and this feeling of I have to be over-responsible is the exact thing that's keeping our hose kinked. And to me, there's no greater honoring of our responsibility than to be in our life force. And that is the most responsible thing we can do because then we are on the same page as source and we're on the same page as our soul. And there's no better place for us to be than there, you know? So my advice would be, breathe, know that it takes courage, know that you are so understood by so many people who've had to make these leaps, do it at a pace that feels right for you, but listen to your soul and understand that it it might take a, a couple of weeks, a few months, like, like genuinely honor your life and the pace at which you're being asked to move. But when it's time, know that scary doesn't mean wrong know that scary sometimes means like you are so excited about the life force you're about to access and go for it. So I feel like we need to put the power back in everyone's hands and realize that, you know, your kinks are perfect um, and you are the you are the guru in your own life and you, you know, like you just know. And just to trust that your, your feelings and how you feel in your body and your lack of energy or inspiration, like that's a perfect sign for you. There's nothing wrong. It's just signaling to you how much more better it can get and just be in the excitement of how much better it will get. Next up, we have the incredible femme non-binary icon, performance artist and poet, Alok Vadmenon. I have medicine for people. In this iteration of the world, I have to call it poetry. I have to call it performance art. I have to call it like, follow me on Instagram. Like I have to convince people that they are sick. And I have to say, what I have to say is your medicine. And I have to tell people over and over again, it's going to hurt. Like healing hurts. I've seen it in myself. I have a line in one of my poems where I say, when I look at myself in the mirror and see what I've become, I cannot tell if I'm celebrating or mourning. And that for me, that sense of like destruction and creation are simultaneous is so central to how I understand the world is that 
Healing is painful. Pain is healing. Mm. These are false dichotomies that we constantly live our lives saying, I don't want to hurt. And so we just play business as usual. And then we're, we're actually end up hurting. Like that's the irony is that I look at the majority of people in the world and I'm saying, you've never done self work. Like you genuinely don't know who you are or what you feel. And you think that you're happy, but everything is so desperate and ephemeral where you're going to literally buy a new pair of shoes, feel happy for five days. I mean, I love buying new pairs of shoes. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to fight for is endurance happiness. I'm trying to fight for happiness that's not just about a moment or a transaction and a way of being where no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what the violence I'm experiencing in my life, I look at myself and I say, you better, you know? And I've got there. <laughs> I genuinely feel like I, I've got mm. so far. I mean, obviously, we're all works in progress and obviously there's so many things I have to do. But like, I think that the reason I'm so passionate about my message is I've seen what it's done for my own life to be able to reconsider everything that we've been taught. And now when people present a new thing that I didn't know, my reaction is not to clench up and be like, you're wrong. My reaction is to be like, wow, thank you so much for teaching me something about our complex world. I'd love to learn more. You know, like I just have such a different relationship with like difference. Because I think ultimately the reason that I experience violence is because when people see someone like me, they don't know what to think. And then rather than asking, hi, like, can you teach me? They clench up and they try mm. to destroy it. And that's, that's the psychology of fascism, which is when we're presented with something that is an alternative way of living, we must destroy it, not live and coexist with it. And I think that what I'm really asking, people mistake what I'm saying to be like, I want everyone to be non-binary. I want every... No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can you coexist with someone like me in your universe? I don't think so. The current universe means that in order for people to say I'm a man or a woman, they have to mean I'm a man means I'm not a woman and I'm a woman means I'm not a man. And as long as you believe in those oppositionalities, I can exist because in my body and in my heart, man and woman are synonymous. And in my body and in my heart, masculinity and femininity are hanging out together. And so in order for you to have that paradigm, I can't be here. Mm. What so we talk about self discovery and sort of what you've done to to learn more about yourself and to really um, accept who you are. What has that journey looked like, and what books, resources, people? How have you? What have you leveraged to really do that? Sure thing. So I really believe that self actualization has to happen with other people. I think that like what frustrates me about the conversation about self care is that it feels like really like individualistic. Like if you just take the best Instagram selfie, you're going to love yourself 30 times harder. Or if you have the right face mask, you're going to have 10 times less self-hatred. Like, I think that actually, for me, wellness comes from having other people bear witness to your pain and giving you permission to heal. That's how I got better. After I graduated from college, I knew that I had missing in my life other trans people, and especially other trans and gender non people of color. And I knew that if I moved back to the to Texas, I wouldn't find them. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to move to New York. And I was very clear, I'm going to move to New York to meet people like me. And I spent my first years in New York meeting those people. And through them, I found myself. Like We need to find our own people to be able to find ourselves. I really believe in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a story as old as queer people is that our families kind of weren't the best for us. And so we had to build our own families. And the types of friendships and love that we build with the people that we choose as our families are unparalleled. 
Like I often joke, I have access to what all the straight cis people want when they want marriage. They want security, they want intimacy, they want trust, they want romance. I have all of that in my friendships. And that fundamentally destabilizes everything because straight cis people are taught you have to wait to get that when you find the one. What if you could have 10 ones? And what if those people are actually in your life right now? You're just literally saying this kind of love is not as real as this aspiration. But I think that's another exercise that I've learned in my life, which is when you begin to do self-work, you begin to recognize that the things that society dismisses as illegitimate or not real are perhaps the most real things. And I think for me, my healing came from my friendships because I actually developed friendships with people who cared about me, not my ability to inspire or my ability to be used. And when they cared about me, it meant that they were there for me when I was sick. They were there for me when I was traumatized. And they were there for me when I was celebratory. They were there for me when I was successful. And I think that we were teaching each other how to love because our parents didn't do that. We were teaching each other how to trust because our schools didn't do that. And I think through having close friendships with other trans people, I really began to realize like, oh, wait, like I'm cool. like I'm good. And I really feel like we talk a lot about hurt people, hurting people, but we don't talk about heal, healed people, healing people. And I met people in my life who had done self-work and who saw me and were like, you have a lot of stuff to do and really took me under their wing and mentored me. And that's something that was so beautiful. And what I really try to do in my own art practice now is one of my favorite things about being a touring artist is all across the world, I get to collaborate with other trans artists. And I'm very intentional about this where I try to make sure every single show that I have I try to curate another trans person to work with me. And I don't just work with them on the stage. We get coffee together. We're hanging out. We're talking about our practices. And I'm trying to like actually share everything that I've learned with other people. That's central to why I'm an artist. Is I feel like I've learned all these things from whatever reasons, school, books, friends, whatever. And I don't want to be the only one knowing them. Like I want everyone to know everything that I know. When I encounter a new idea, mm. I and I tell everyone, I remember when I was younger in Texas, knowledge was a way of having mobility when I couldn't have physical mobility. I was trapped in a small town where no one looked like me. And so my head had to become the space that I went to travel galaxies. And I remember I would just in the middle of the night watch like Nova documentaries online about like the universe or like black holes. And I remember just going, whoa, like that's always been part of my creative practice is like I have so many questions. And I run to them rather than running away from them. And that's why that's where I think healing comes from is ask yourself, what are the questions that you are really seeking answers for? And then become comfortable that the answers might be other questions. And that's what healing is. When you're comfortable that the life's most existential questions will just be answered with another series of questions. And you can smile at all those questions and be like, I don't know who I am. And that's the joyous thing. Kind of overwhelming. All the power. Overwhelming. What a year. What a freaking year. I always like to do these because truly sometimes I forget how many incredible conversations Same. we've had. Because <laughs> we're so heads down in the work to look at that list and to think yeah. back on each one of them, everything that I learned and how I felt leaving each of those conversations. It's. And I also think about, yeah, the feedback that like... Mm what all of you have said, you know, throughout the year about those specific episodes, whether you're tagging us on Instagram or sending us private messages, it's 
yeah, we know that it's made an impact on you and we can't thank you enough for letting us know and continuing to listen and inspire us and sending us suggestions for guests and topics. So, oh, honey. Yeah. You guys are a lot of the guiding force for having amazing guests on like this and talking about things like, you know, hormone balancing or talking about... um, and the conversation surrounding gender non-binary um, and everything that affects that community, which is our community as well. Um, John Wineland talking about relationship. I mean, hot fire flames. Hot, hot. Um, and Kim and Ami. Mm-hmm. I mean, had to put her in there too. Yes. <laughs> Love a good sex combo. <laughs> um, all right. So stay tuned for part two of our you know, best of the year. Mm -hmm. We can't wait to share it with you. We hope you're having a wonderful holiday if that's when you're listening to this. Um, Otherwise, we'll catch you in 2019. We love you so much. Bye. 